Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 Internet of Things with Game Changers, one of our longest-running and most popular series. Happy to be here. And those of you who've been listening for a while know when I say welcome, 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 that means I have three guests on the panel today. We have an important topic. There's a term that's been bandied about for a long time. It scares a lot of people, and it comforts a lot of people. So let me give you an introduction, and then we'll have our guests give you their bios and tell you why they're here, what their passion is for the topic. So I have a quote from an interesting website titled datarobot.com. Just think about that. So listen up. Data governance, there it is. Let it sit there in your brain for a second. Data governance is designed as the organizational framework that applies to how data is obtained, managed, used, and secured by your organization. That's a lot. Data governance is the fourth key principle of AI ethics with ethical purpose, fairness, and disclosure. And here's the caveat. It's important to understand where your data originated, how it was handled, and the goals your AI platform and machine learning model set out to achieve. DataRobot.com, you can find it there. I have one more quote from a gentleman named Prasant Southakal. He is the head of Data for Business Performance Institute, and here's the quote. Companies have tons and tons of data, but success isn't about data collection. It's about data management and insight. So now let me give you a little more background, and then we'll get to our panelists. Big data and artificial intelligence, known as AI, are accepted today as key drivers for the digital transformation of organizations in today's societies. And we're talking to you, our business listeners all over the world here on Voice America Business Channel. In order to succeed with what we know is data-driven innovation, companies around the world, and that includes our listeners, need to develop an agile mindset and experiment with new technologies. As key concerns remain about data access and quality, In analytics and AI initiatives, applying data governance is often perceived as, uh uh-oh, rigid and non-value-adding. This is where it gets to be maybe not the good guy. Here's a reality check. Is data governance an inhibitor that suffocates technical innovation, or is it a mandate, a requirement that facilitates the success and further adoption of AI and machine learning? So our topic today is AI and data governance, friends or foes. And I have three wonderful people on the panel who've been with me many times before. Glad to welcome them back. Christine Legner, we are recording the video on Zoom. Wave hello. There's Christine, Wolfgang Epting. Hello, Wolfgang. Welcome back. And Maria Villar, of course. And we're going to ask them for their take on AI and data governance, friends or foes. And let's find out. Christine, welcome back. I'm ready for you to introduce yourself. Please take a couple minutes. Tell us, update us on what you do and what's your passion for this topic. Christine, good morning. Uh, Good morning. Uh, My name is Christine Legner. I'm a professor of information systems at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland. Um, So we're here right at the shores of Lake of Geneva, very beautiful area for those who have not visited yet. Um, but um, more specifically, and I think that also explains a little my passion for the topic, um, I have been involved in the Competence Center Corporate Data Quality as um, academic head of the Competence Center. And the Competence Center basically is a group of enterprises, so multinationals, uh, most of them, uh, that care about data, so that treat 
data as a strategic asset. And we have uh, partners like SAP, but also Bosch, Bayer, BSF, Nestle, Tedra Pak. So a lot of um, European-based multinationals. And um, the Competence Center is a unique, well, Form, form to actually exchange on data-related topics. And most of the more traditional companies uh, own quite a lot of data. Uh, they create a lot. Um, and they also have big plans on what to do with them. And uh, we help them and we work together actually on also making use of data and how to govern data and uh, treat data as a true source of value. And um, as we have more and more ideas on what we could do with data with modern uh, advanced analytics technologies, artificial intelligence. Uh, so I think there's a lot that we have to discuss and also a lot of changes on how data governance has been perceived in the past and what it would require to actually govern data in the future if we need it still. Thank you, Christine. Friend or foe, which column are you in? Just starting out before we get into the, the discussion. <laughs> friend or uh, foe, which column? Friend. Friend. <laughs> Ah, okay. The controversy, the provocativeness begins. Wolfgang Epting, you're back. So happy to see you again. Please go ahead and reintroduce yourself to our global audience. They want to know what you've been up to and what's your passion for our topic. Wolfgang, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me again. So I'm still a data enthusiast with a large passion um, for data from the beginning of my career. It was data that fascinated me. And um, so I started as a database administrator. So I basically learned the craft of dealing with data and data governance from uh, scratch. And uh, so this um, uh, accompanied uh, me during my complete um, career um, with IBM, with Informatica, all data management um, um, related um, jobs that I had and challenges. Um, so I'm now with SAP also um, advising and recommending data strategies to our customer. I'm a keynote speaker and um, um, a customer solution advisor. This is what I do in my professional uh, life, um, talking about data, data strategies. And of course, because I think um, artificial intelligence is at the heart of the digital transformation or innovation, however you might um, call this. And I think there is a very special correlation between artificial intelligence and um, data, especially data governance. I would even go a step further and say there is a symbiotic relationship between data governance and artificial intelligence. Interesting. Which column? Friend or foe? Wolfgang? Friend. Oh, we've got two friends here. Let's see where Maria weighs in. Maria Villar, so happy to see you. Always, always, always honored to have you, Maria. Would you please refresh our audience about what you've been up to, what you're doing, and don't answer the question till I ask it about friend or foe, because I want to be able to see. I'm tallying the columns right now. Maria, welcome back. How are you? All right. It's great to also be back, Bonnie, and, and to be with my friends, uh, Christine and Wolfgang, on this on this topic. So, yeah, I'm Maria Villar. My official title at SAP is, is as an executive advisor to our customers on all things data and data strategy. And, and that comes from being that operational executive. So I've been the head of data, had to build organizations from the ground up. I've had to do it three times, including at SAP, where I, I built their first data program back in, in 20, 
2009 and then ran it for seven years. So I like to say I have the badges and scars to be able to talk <laughs> about this topic uh, in a practical way. Um, and my friend Tom Redman, who many of you probably know, he's a data doctor, right? He, he calls me, and I agree with this, right, a, a data provocateur. So, so my career in data has started being just an operation executive, then kind of this teacher advisor role that I have. But really at heart, what I do a lot of and what I really enjoy is being that change provocateur, right? Talking about our profession, where is it going? It's advancing so much. I mean, 20 some odd years ago when we all started, and I know Christine and Wolfgang would agree to this, nobody knew what these roles were. Nobody thought about data as a profession and as an industry or something to even care about beyond zeros and ones. And now it's kind of cool. So it's interesting to see 20 some odd years and how this topic has become uh, top of mind. And artificial intelligence is just one of the reasons for that. So, you know, if I think about this topic, there's really two parts of one is data governance, which has been around for a long time and has its sets of pluses and minuses. And then there's AI, which, by the way, has been around also for a long time. It's nothing new. We worked in AI and speech recognition and machine learning 20 some odd years ago when I was at IBM. But it's now it's now easier to do. Um, it's becoming more of a business imperative. It's, it's easier and more cost effective to do it. And so uh, the possibilities are endless uh, to, to look at this. So it's becoming an interesting topic. I would say most companies are dabbling in it, have done some of it, uh, but they also, many of these projects also don't come to fruition and don't get productized and hard, hardenized within the company. And it's, you know, one of the reasons is for what we're going to talk about today, uh, which is how do you manage uh, all of the aspects of an AI project so that it does bring value to the organization and it can be productized and deployed. Thank you, Maria. Provocateur, data provocateur. I love that. And I remember when I was, I'm considered an early woman in tech. I, don't, I probably predate you, Maria. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> when I was a programmer analyst, we did both. We analyzed and we wrote the code and we, we ran the programs and everything. But the, the department was called MIS, Management mm. Information Systems. You're nodding. This was yeah. back in the key punch days, kids. I was a program. 2,000 cards in a box, you know? And they ran just like that. I was good at it. But COBOL, by the way, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 and then IBM 4341 in, a, in P, coding PL1 for two big, big statewide systems. Anyway, we didn't talk about data. We talked about information. And now today we say that information needs to be actionable and we use data instead of information. So in, interesting how the the nomenclature has changed. Maria, friend or foe, what do you think? It depends. I love it. I love it. We have two <laughs> friends and we have one on the fence here. And I know I looked at your discussion statements, Maria, and you've got some friends and you've got some foes in there. Very interesting. Great introduction from the three of you. I feel like I'm in I'm in elite company today with the three of you. I respect I respect your knowledge and your experience, all three of you, and I'm very happy to have you here. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked you, as always, to send me a quote from a fictional TV or movie character or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic, and you're going to explain how you think it does and this is very interesting so christine legner has sent us a quote from freddie mercury 
who, uh, let's see now, the song is I Want to Break Free, and that's the quote. It's by British, <laughs> British rock band Queen, written by bassist John Deacon. It's on the album The Works from 1984. Do you know how long ago that was, Christine? We're in 22 now, and 84, 22, and 16, 22, 32. We're almost 40 years ago. And this, there was, this was a video where Freddie Mercury was dressed as a woman vacuuming a house. Okay, 1984. I want to break free. The song is largely known for his music video with all the band members dressed in drag, a concept proposed by Roger Taylor, the drummer. It's a parody of the TV soap opera Coronation Street. I'll leave it there. I want to break free. Christine, what in the world does this have to do with our topic? This should be fun. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I have a lot to do with students. And basically, I mean, they are about innovation. They want to be creative. They want to create new stuff. So somehow to break free. And uh, oftentimes, if we look also at corporate IT landscapes, and we teach them some of the MIS foundations, uh, because I basically teach at master level, executive level also these courses. So people somehow feel a little bit terrified or I don't know, uh, um, also about these structures and they want to break free. So they want to actually let data, free data from the systems and do innovative things. So I somehow uh, thought about it. I mean, um, it's perhaps, I mean, the AI community, uh, this startup community that somehow wants to work with digital technologies, they don't want to uh, be in these boundaries that we know for a long time and that many corporates are in. So I thought, I want to break free also. <laughs> I want the data to break free. I love that. Thank you very much. We, we don't get too many Freddie Mercury quotes, uh, so I appreciate that. Let's go to Wolfgang. We love this one. Quote from <sighs> Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks, 1994 American comedy drama film. If you haven't seen it, go find it somewhere on a streaming service. And by the way, it was based on, uh, uh, let's see, there's a novel of the same name by Winston Groom, and the film differs substantially from the novel, in case anybody was wondering. And here's the quote. We love this. My mama always said... Life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Oh, that was a terrible Tom Hanks impersonation. Forrest Gump. Wolfgang, rescue me. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Yeah, so I think um, for Tom Hanks um, and um, Forrest Gump, it was it was okay uh, not knowing what he will get out of this um, box. But um, if you think about um, AI, what I think... Um, it's um, it's it's another thing here. So if you comp would compare a box of chocolate with um, an artificial uh, model or something like this, um, I think you want to know what you get out of this. And this is uh, a big difference, what I think, um, because um, only if people um, know what um, AI is all about, uh, if it's explainable, if they understand, um, then there will be the accept, uh, acceptance um, at all. This goes a little bit into the direction, what is human? Um, and we as human beings, what uh, what do we want to have? What do we expect from, from AI? I think it's not so harmless as a box of chocolate. If you think a little bit further, if some kind of decisions on creditworthiness or loan management, or even if you go into the health sector, if you think about um, cancer prevention and research or something like that, I think we as human beings, <clears throat> we do not want to have black boxes, boxes of chocolates. I think we we need and we we uh, we only will um, accept um, a new technology if we understand it. And um, there it comes not only to the the models; it also comes down to to data. We want to understand what uh, data is going into these algorithms and how decisions are made. Otherwise, um, I do not see the full potential um, of artificial intelligence 
coming to reality. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Appreciate that. Uh, I just, I love chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I recently found out that I can get an adrenaline rush from chocolate that lasts for eight hours, worse than my caffeine aversion. So I've got to be really, really careful, but but I still love it in small doses. Thank you very much. Maria Villar, I'm looking at your quote, and this is a doozy. Maria picked the movie Desk Set. Anybody remember what a desk set was? It was a blotter and it was a pencil cup and it was whatever you put on your desk. The movie is 1957, American romantic comedy film. It was also released in the UK. Some of you in Europe may know this or remember, or you've heard about it, you don't remember it, as His Other Woman. That was the name of the movie, starring the indefatigable team of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Oh my. And this is a scene where Spencer Tracy is a consultant who's bringing in a computer to a research uh, library in a big company and the company is the federal broadcasting network and these they're a bunch of ladies who work in the library desk for research and peg costello played by the actress joan blondell is aware they're all aware what's happening and they're standing around spencer tracy and wondering what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and the quote is if we're not fired what's going to happen when emirac that's the computer takes over and richard summer played by spencer tracy says emirac is not going to take over it was never intended to take over it was never intended to replace you and bunny watson is played by katherine hepburn who's the love interest of two men in the movie i watched the clip and i loved it maria maria Emirac, today, <laughs> you're bringing us back 65 years. I love it. Tell me, what in the world this has to do with our topic today? Well, first, I want to challenge you, Bonnie. I wanted to make sure you had to go do all that research to find all those characters. So so that's a good way to start the year. But look, I, I, first of all, it tells you a little bit about myself. This movie was even before I was born, but I love classic old movies. And in particular, I love you know, Spencer Tracy and, and Catherine Hepburn. And so for any of you out there who have not seen their movies, when they pair up, they deal with really progressive issues. I can't, I can't tell you the number of movies that I've seen that I'm, that I'm amazed at the issues that they have brought up in their movies way before their time. And this one in particular was about computers, 1957, about computers taking over a research department and the fear that it brought into those women whose jobs they thought were at risk. And at the end of the movie, I won't give it all away, but at the end of the movie, it is about the cooperation between the machine and the employees and the individuals and how they sort of end up working together. Uh, and, and so I think it makes such perfect sense because that's kind of where we are with AI today. There is a tremendous amount also of concern about where AI can possibly go and how it can displace uh, the jobs that people do. So back in 1957, it was relevant. And it, here we are still today talking about this topic. Thank you, Maria. And I don't have the notes on what Emirac stood at, stood for, but I will tell you that the screenplay for the movie, I, I bet you know this, Maria. Do you know who it was written by? I do not know. Nora but I know F- Emirac. So Emirac was yes. the name they gave to the IBM computer. So those of us that, I mean, it was, it was a big humongous uh, computer that took over the whole research department in that area. So uh, it was, you know, back in the day when those computers were huge. And that was the name they gave to to the computer, Emirac. And the screenplay was written by Nora Ephron's parents. I see. 
Phoebe Efron and Henry Efron back in 1955. Isn't that interesting? And the the uh, there was a cute scene where everybody received, they thought they got their weekly paycheck <laughs> in an envelope, and it was a pink slip that told them they were all fired. The the Emirac in the Human Resources Department had a, a glitch, and it sent your fire notice to everybody in the whole company. Yep, yep. And they had, so, boy, were they prescient or what? Think Knowing this stuff, 1950? I'm telling you, you everybody else. On this show should go watch this movie it is a classic and it. it'll make you laugh but it'll all you'll also be shaking your head like 1965 they were dealing with this topic way ahead of their time yep the movie was 57 Un- unbelievable um thank you maria for a blast from the past <laughs> nora efron's parents i can tell you where she got her 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 goals there so let's move on thank you so much to the three of you for really interesting quotes and the explanations and now let's go to our formal round table christine legner sent me the following here's what's going to happen if you're new to our listening audience i'm going to read one of uh, one statement they each sent me four uh, the first one i'm going to start with one from christine she'll unpack it just like on the news shows for about three minutes and then I will ask Wolfgang to agree or disagree, uh-oh, with what Christine said. And then Maria will agree or disagree with either or both of them. Then I'll pick a statement from Wolfgang, go around the table, and one from Maria. And let's see how far we get. So Christine told me the following. She said, we hear an AI gone wrong story in the media almost every day, which underlines that AI requires careful management to prevent unintentional but significant change. I'm going to let you finish the statement about data governance. Christine, go ahead. Yes, I think we already heard from Wolfgang some of these stories, so uh, algorithms somehow being biased in selecting uh, employees, for example. Uh, We heard that from Amazon, for example. Um, On the other hand, we have these creditworthiness checks that may be executed by AI that also may be biased. So there's a lot of um, also um, examples that somehow tell us that these technologies, they can do a lot of good things for us and also actually um, yeah, relieve us from many manual tedious tasks. But at the same time, uh, there are these gone wrong stories, AI gone wrong. And um, at the end, uh, I mean, these are machines that learn, that learn from some type of data that we feed in. And um, the ultimate um, idea or um, argument that I would like to make is in order to somehow prevent those gone wrong stories, probably we cannot prevent them completely, but at least we have to a little bit better understand what we feed into these machines. Um, And this is where data governance comes in, in my point of view. Um, It basically provides knowledge people that uh, are also oversight on the one hand side, but also responsibilities for data uh, and also knowledge about data. And I think um, if we look at the moment um, a lot of people are somehow grasp like collecting data as much as they can Um, and it's more a little bit perhaps um, well uh, putting some guardrails um, also defining some good standards uh, some ways also how we're going to deal where we see limits and where we can also have perhaps um, a good basis to work on so for me data governance um, basically it's about um, putting some guardrails Uh, so that we can build and use artificial intelligence responsibly in organizations, but also on a societal level. Okay, thank you very much, Christine. Let's see what your co-panelists have to say. Mr. Epting, you're up first. Agree or disagree? Christine told me it's perfectly okay if you disagree. Just be nice. Wolfgang, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. But in this case, um, I would agree. We need some kind of standards and, and guardrails. 
So um, I read an interesting article, I think it was uh, from Google, um, a little bit a piece of research about uh, so-called data cascades. And what they mean by that is that um, models are very often uh, trained in lab environments. So they, they um, have data which is uh, cleaned before, which is uh, highly engineered. And then these models um, are being thrown to the real world. And what, uh, what we see that the performance and um, also the um, the effect of these models um, are not what um, what have been uh, expected. And um, this is something that could have been pre prevented by spending more time in the, in the data governance piece and not just looking at the model. Uh, that meaning uh, if, if the results are not okay, I <laughs> tweak my model. Uh, as long as I get the results that I want, that will not solve the problem. So there's also research um, showing that um, if you have a model at a certain state and you spend a lot of, uh, or if you spend more uh, into the data quality, then you can um, increase the probability of the model instead of spending on um, just um, on, the, on the model alone. So I would say uh, to prevent these things that we hear, um, one thing, of course, is to, um, to look at the, the data governance and, of course, um, at the data quality that we are uh, feeding our models with. Interesting. Maria, thoughts? So, you know, I said it depends uh, when I when you ask me, is it friend or foe? And, and in this case, um, I, I agree with what Christine and Wolfgang have said. When you think about it in the broadest terms, does um, managing certain aspects of an AI solution make sense? And the answer to that is yes. Um, where I where I kind of go a little bit on the other side is just well, calling it data governance to me is is not my favorite word because I, I really think governance is is a bit limiting a word and what we really have to think about is how do you manage this this new kind of data this new kind of project what do you need to govern how do you need to govern it and think of it more holistically than just saying uh, just calling it data governance. Thank you very much. Christine, you started this. You want to speak back to your co-panelists before we move on? Um, I'm pretty much aligned uh, with uh, with them, I guess, on, on this one. I also uh, like the idea of, uh, Maria, I always have a little bit of an issue with data governance, although at the moment it's more like on the positive side. But in the end, I mean, governance is something very passive. And uh, we want to get, get good results out of this AI and not stupid results and at least uh, and not um, models that are going to discriminate people or that are unfair. So in that sense, it's about for me, it's really also management task, as you mentioned it, it has different aspects. So among them governance aspect, but uh, probably governance alone will not save us. Do we if you let me just ask a question before we go to one of Wolfgang's statements. If you could change the term data governance to something that maybe wasn't quite as frightening, something as governmental, meaning big somebody is watching, is looking, is it, it, it's that word. That's what a lot of people don't like. If you could change that, I know I'm asking this on the fly, we didn't prepare this part of the show. Christine, what would you call it if, if, if you had to change data governance, if your prediction was data governance will have a new name by 2023, what would you call it? What would you like to call it? 
No pressure. <laughs> I'm not very creative at the moment. Uh, so, I mean, we avoid the term a little bit uh, and um, actually put data management because it's a, okay. it's a management task of a, about a resource. Um, and that has actually, I mean, information supply chains or however you want to call that. Uh, so you. perhaps information supply chain management. I think data management. I like that because it keeps the data in there and it's not quite as scary. Wolfgang, what would you do with it? Do you agree with data management? Or you have something else. Yeah, data management is is uh, is a little bit of a of a technical term. So basically, if you think about data governance, there are different aspects. So everybody's talking about data literacy, data democratization, data culture, and all this um, stuff. So I would um, basically try to find a word which summarizes all this and not just um, the cap capabilities of, of data management. But at the moment, um, I'm not so creative. So let me just uh, think about it. Maybe I come up at the end of the show. At with the end of the show. I'll go back at the end of the show. We'll do a little crystal ball round at the end. Yeah. Maria. Any thoughts on replacing data governance? Of course you have. Oh, Go ahead. I've been replacing that word for the last, I can't tell you how many years. I, I, I really avoid the word data governance. I like the word data management in the context of, um, and the conversations I usually have around this is, instead of saying, I want to govern your data, I, I really say, I'd like to manage your data to business outcomes. And just that the way of expressing that to to a, a, the business stakeholder, to another stakeholder, that's not as technical. They get that and they see that we're not trying to be so onerous, but we're trying to partner on doing what's logical for the outcome. Thank you very much, all of you. Didn't mean to spring that on you, but it's always fun to see what people think. And that's when your thoughts come out when you're really not prepared. I wasn't expecting great creativity, but I want to know where you sit. And that's part of our what we're talking about today, right? AI and data governance, friends or foes. So maybe the term is the problem. I'm thinking of data data. I'm thinking of data control, which is also a little bit onerous, right, Maria? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also thinking of um, uh, data healthcare. <laughs> not healthcare data, but data care. Data care. Data care. Data care. Data care. Yeah. Can can we brand? Can we can we copyright that? Can I <laughs> data care? Thank you very much. I had a guest on. I my think Monday. the only thing, Bonnie, is that yes. you know we in the data world we love to invent new words, you know, as opposed <laughs> to just using something simple, right? I mean, if so, I think just kind of going back to basics, and because we do have to talk to people who don't know data, and if we try to start creating and inventing new words, it, it just gets us in trouble. It makes us sound clever, but it, not to anybody else but ourselves. Well, I think, <laughs> yeah, I I think you're all clever. Christine, want to say something? Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So I'm here. I'm the professor at from university. <laughs> and obviously, one of the main thing is definitions. And actually, it's not as there's a lot of governance literature. So that actually has not been applied also to data. And there are many concepts that actually are extremely important. Wolfgang mentioned culture. Uh, governance mechanisms are about relational mechanisms. So how do people work together with data? Um, they're about obviously also more the procedural aspects. Uh, so there are all these aspects in the governance term. But um, I mean, if you really look into the details, but um, at the end, uh, I agree with you. It does not sound very, let's say, Okay. <laughs> Good discussion. Thank you very much. Wolfgang, I put into the chat statement number three for you, but I, I want to go to statement four and I'm going to read it for you. Okay, I'll read it and then we'll go around. He says, automated, automated, that's important, data governance ensures the availability of high quality data. And here's the important part, lays the foundation for reuse 
across hundreds of solutions with robust controls. There's that control word I had. I'm sorry to switch that on you, Wolfgang, but I thought this was a really provocative statement we can sink our teeth into. So forgive me and go ahead. I'm going to put it in the chat for you anyway. Go ahead, Wolfgang. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised now, but it's, this is not I'm a problem. Sorry. There it course. is. I put it, I put it in the chat. I just thought it would be because we've already talked about the friend or foe thing, and I think this is a good direction. So there you go. Wolfgang? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so what, I, what I think is um, that if you look at um, the upcoming um, thing about um, big data and uh, the data science, if you look at the persona at the data scientist, um, I think the this um, persona is uh, very young, fresh people. They they walk um, on the red carpet into the organizations, and basically, um, what what that means is they do not have um, they do not want to talk about data governance um, at all. So um, they want to develop their their models um, and so on. But if you look at the number of data scientists that we really have, and the people consuming artificial intelligence, I think there is a huge disbalance. So. What I see is newer, um, newer things um, in the market is, um, for example, AutoML. That means um, we are developing um, artificial intelligence that um, can be deployed or developed um, much more easily. And um, so in order to deploy auto machine learning, what we need is um, some kind of a factory approach on the data side, on the data engineering side. And this means um, we have to come up with, um, with uh, repeatable, reusable mechanisms in order to provide the data with the right quality labeling and all this stuff um, that we need. And there we uh, have to become um, much better uh, in order to not just have auto ML or ML ops, as we call it, um, machine learning operations, but also we have to get better in the data operations um, piece. So um, having higher automated um, things to engineer to provide data, having a higher data transparency on the data assets that we have in our uh, companies. And um, by that, um, and this is also what, what I meant by there is a symbiotic relationship between um, data governance, I use the word now between data care and artificial intelligence. Why? Um, because on the one hand, um, so data is feeding AI, but on the other hand, um, most companies have uh, a lot of data. They have uh, huge amounts of data, which they do not really understand. Why not using AI to understand the data better and to automate the provisioning of data to the AI on the other side? And this is um, this um, symbiotic um, relationship. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Thank you for allowing me to switch on you, Wolfgang. I thought that was a really meat and potato statement there. Maria, you are virtually sitting next to Mr. Epting right now, so why don't you comment on that? Go ahead. I, I mean, Wolfgang is spot on. One of the areas where managing data makes perfect sense is in, in the area of, of production, productionizing and data quality maintenance, um, making it easy to deploy an AI application that's reliable, that has good data in its backbones, right? That's gotten rid of all of the data biases. So yeah, absolutely pr productizing. And this is one of the shortfalls that we have with AI is that there's lots of proof of concepts. It's a, it's a cool term. Everybody wants to work on it. 
but if you don't have a way to then take that proof of concept and then make it real in the organization and scale it up, then it, it doesn't go anywhere. So using AI within these processes to hardenize the infrastructure, as Wolfgang says, makes perfect sense. And, and then uh, also AI can be used to make data management better as well. So his point about that symbiotic relationship is, right, is, is spot on. Both can use those technologies to better them, their own operations. And, and, and there is a very close tie. I mean, AI is all about data and um, and AI can benefit making managing data easier by applying it to those processes that are pretty boring in and of itself. Thank you very much. Christine Legner, join us. Thoughts? I um, would like to challenge a little bit this uh, term automated data governance uh, okay. because um, that's for me a little bit like where I'm uh, thinking or a little bit trying to be a little bit critical, I completely understand that we have many, many tedious tasks at the moment that we can simplify. We can also use AI to better understand the data world in our companies. So completely um, okay with that. But uh, when it comes to um, governance, I think there's also like um, um, some values behind. There are some ethical aspects that we need to integrate and where it's difficult to delegate that to a machine. Um, and in that regard, so I'm just wondering and coming back to this, let's say, governance, um, uh, yeah, governance definition, which is about oversight, with it to, which is about the guardrails. And with, in that regard, I'm perhaps a little bit more, um, let's say, I have some reservations that we make that um, happen without individuals uh, that are data savvy and that can actually also uh, work on these topics. It's also about, I mean, and we, we have that very often. I mean, it's about understanding or, I don't know, putting uh, certain um, things into context. Um, and oftentimes in the larger organizations, I mean, we have very complex operations. We have very complex uh, relationships between different data objects um, and additional, I don't know, sensor data that we are going to collect. So it's about we still, I think, have to have at least some um, people also uh, at managerial level and, I mean, at top management level that understand the whole thing. And um, in, I think over the past years, we have been uh, very uh, used to use a lot of technology without thinking about it. But at the end, when it comes to data, I want to have also control. I want to be in control. And I want to also be in control what of the outcomes that are there. So... Um, in that regard, perhaps um, some reservations, although um, I like the idea of actually not um, having these kind of very manual, tedious processes that we see today. It's more like, I mean, I'm here very close to these uh, watchmaking companies that have very old style manufacturing processes. And sometimes if I look at data, how it's treated, so we take it. We, pre uh, we post process it. We um, I don't know put in from one database into the next one, and so on. It reminds me a little bit like at the watch, uh, of the watchmaking industry here in the Swiss mountains. Thank, very interesting, Wolfgang. Did you know this would be so provocative? Is there anything you want to say back to either of your panelists, co-panelists? Yes, I think we have to distinguish a little bit um, what we what we mean by by automation. Of course. A lot of um, AI projects um, fail because the data scientist does not have the domain knowledge. 
And this is something that I do not want to automate. But for example, if you look at simpler tasks, let me make an example. If you throw AI at all your data that you have in your company in order to find out um, personal identifiable information, this is something that AI could do for you. And then, for example, um, you make this visible, you classify this, and um, the data scientist can, for example, then uh, see what kind of information he is allowed to use and what kind of information he is not allowed to use in order to um, to provide data sovereignty. This kind of um, of tasks can be done by a machine, but not, for example, if you look at ethical guidelines um, and things like that. This is something that I would agree to, Christine, that we need, um, of course, human uh, human intervention and human contribution. Christine, Maria, anything back to Wolfgang? Are we good? We're good? Okay. Let's go to statement number four from Maria Villar. I like this one, Maria. And part of it we've already talked about in the second half we haven't. So this is a foe statement versus friend statement. And she says, AI governance can be too heavy and onerous. Already said that. Now, listen up. Effective AI governance is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It requires understanding the principle of fit for purpose and applying it intelligently for AI projects. I see people nodding, Maria. So Maria, why don't you unpack this and then we'll go around the table. Yours, go ahead. Yeah, what that means, I mean, those of us who are in the data world, we know this term fit for purpose because that's that's the definition that we've always had for what does data quality mean, right? When you think about data quality is in the eye of the of the beholder. Uh, one, one organization thinks is good enough data is not what the other. And so fit for purpose has been a, the guiding principle in, in our data management for a long time. And I think we need to apply it to AI as well. What we tend to do in the data world, and I've been I've been a practitioner, so I know that, is to kind of apply all the things that have worked for us in the data world, in the data governance world, and just apply it to every technology that's coming uh, ahead. And instead, we have to think about the principle of what does what really has to be managed in order to achieve the outcomes that you want. And when you apply that higher level thinking is when you really get to the what's valuable and what's meaningful to manage. And that's where the human has to come in. So I agree with both what Wolfgang, Christine said, there, it has to be led by humans um, and enabled by data. Uh, and even in the world of where machines will learn from each other, again, it has to be the, the human in the middle and leading as opposed to kind of this runaway AI. So not being too onerous and doing one size fits all for every AI scenario, but rather inspecting what you're trying to get done with this AI scenario and say, in the context of what we're trying to get done, where are the risks? What, are, what has to be managed to ensure that the outcomes will be delivered and delivered reliably? And that's the intelligence that we have as data professionals to put around this topic. That's what I meant. Thank you very much. And Maria, I have a question for you going back to my opening, my first quote from Data Robot, which I thought was an interesting website. Data governance is the fourth key principle of AI ethics. Uh, it's important to understand our right, ethical purpose, fairness, and disclosure along with governance. You agree with that? Yeah, I, I do believe that managing data ethics and to data biases and to justice and all that is a is a very uh, a very important outcome 
that we need to achieve. So yeah, I do. I, I, I guess I don't, right? I, the way I, I, I just keep at the words that we always use, mm-hmm. because at, at the end of the day, we need the community at large to accept that they all have a role to play if they're going to be an AI. And if we use words that kind of shut people down um, and organizations down, we don't accomplish what we really want, which is a participative forum for making decisions around AI. That is what I really am all about. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table and get comments. Christine Legner, you're virtually sitting right next to Maria right now. Go ahead, Christine. Yeah, there are many aspects actually I was thinking about. I also very much agree that um, we are somehow have to overcome existing principles and also some of the practices in, in data governance that have been very much focused on control and compliance. Um, compliance still, and perhaps that's something we can discuss later about, um, I think um, we're going to see a lot of AI regulations and uh, companies that need to comply with. And in Europe, uh, obviously, that's already around the corner. But what I find interesting and what I also observe in working uh, with our great crowd of data management experts is that um, we have to shift our mindset. So actually, data governance has to enable multiple purposes of using data um, and really new ways that are far from what we have seen in the past where data has been mostly, I don't know, fed into some business processes and used by machines. So now it's about, I don't uh, I don't know, new, um, it's machine learning models that would augment human intelligence or perhaps also automate uh, a lot of things. But it's about repurposing data. So data that has been uh, collected for a specific purpose and that we are going to use in a different way, possibly with the AI. And here, I think, is really the the key challenge. Um, And uh, Maria pointed at fit for purpose. Yes, I completely uh, uh, support that statement. At the same time, I see this repurposing of data all the time uh, when we start uh, dealing with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And for me, that's still the big, uh, let's say, um, or the, the greatest challenge, actually. So how do we cope with the many purposes that people start inventing and that many employees, uh, for example, are uh, really curious about, and on the other hand, still um, somehow understanding what the purposes are so that we can actually uh, somehow ensure at least or provide some um, some of these uh, oversight that we actually would need to have. So perhaps uh, the challenge here, so I have no answers to that yet. That's okay. But I think that, uh, but I think governance basically has to uh, contribute to publishing data that can be used, perhaps also with a certain risk assessment uh, with it, or at least um, some um, quality um, assessment could be with that. And this is something that we traditionally have not seen under the umbrella of uh, data governance so much. Thank you, Christine. We're not looking for hard and fast answers here. We're looking for provocateurs who will pose the questions that need to be asked and get people thinking about where you want to go with this and what the answers might be at some point. So perfect. Wolfgang, thoughts on what Maria shared and what Christine commented? Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, there was um, Tom Davenport, which came up with a um, with a writing. It's not new. It's um, I think it was 2017. There he talks about data governance and uh, he talks a little bit about offense and defense. And this is what we have in our mind. Um, so every um, every everyone wants to be in the offense, of course, because uh, in the offense you you are visible. You can make the goals and so on, but you 
cannot um, forget that you need the, the, the defense um, um, also. And um, so it's not just finding a new word. This is one thing, <laughs> data care. But um, I think there might be a, a shift in our heads. What we what do you think about governance? It's not um, people sitting there and saying, hey, what are you using your data? Is this okay or not? Um, so data governance is not an inhibitor. It's an accelerator. We have to understand this. Um, and um, And then... Um, I think we come closer to the to the point here. Um, as long as we think in the old way, I think um, data governance and AI will be foes, not friends. Oh, interesting. Foes, not friends. Interesting. Has anybody changed their mind since we started the show about friend or foe? Because originally Christine said friend, Wolfgang said friend. Maria was, it depends on the fence there based on use case or based on, on flavor or nuance, perhaps. Uh, Christine, have you changed your mind about friend or foe? That was our opening question. I think, um, so if you ask me um, now, perhaps I would say, okay, they are still oftentimes foes, but they have to become friends in this um, idea of acceleration also that was just introduced by um, Wolfgang. Wolfgang, friend or foe, have you changed your mind? Yeah, if you think about um, people in, in Europe, uh, especially, so we have GDPR and all this stuff. And um, it, there's, um, there's a, a, a white paper from the European Commission, um, which talks about um, artificial intelligence. And you find um, in the first paragraph, you find um, the trust and you find the risk. So we in, in Europe, we talk about risk not so much about chance. <laughs> not really sure if that's typical to people here in Germany or in, in the EU. But uh, in the long run, I think the economy that we are looking is um, the winner takes it most. And maybe there is a difference between um, America, North America and, and so on. If we focus too much on data governance and security and all this stuff, um, there might be the, the situation that we fall behind um, and um, that we that we lose in the race um, for the digital uh, innovations, and um, maybe there we have to 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 tweak or, or change a little bit um, our mind. But um, at the end of the day, this this is how we think. We think about um, human um, informational self determination, which is important for us um, here. And um, so AI will only be consumed if we know what uh, what's going on with our data. Interesting, interesting. Any comments, Maria, to them? Well, I haven't changed my it depends, but um, there are a couple of key points that were made here. First one is um, we have to think, we have to use the term data governance or, or eliminate it or whatever it is, but we think about it not as controls, but as enablement. I mean, that's a powerful shift. And when you start to think about it, that's really the purpose is how to enable these things to happen in a reliable way, in a predictable way, in a trustworthy way, as opposed to in controlling every aspect of it. So gosh, getting to that mindset would be phenomenal. And I also like the idea of saying, look, make the data, democratize the data and everything about the data uh, and let um, some of the AI principles uh, and the, and the, the organizations make that decision about, well, what is the, is this trustworthy? Is this data source reliable enough for what I'm trying to do, but make all of those dimensions of data more transparent so that you can make these uh, decisions. I mean, we've got to go from a command and control kind of governance to, to more autonomous, to more agile based uh, governance um, 
just for the reason that Wolfgang said is that you don't necessarily want to be left behind, but you don't want to do something that's really dumb and that makes your brand look really really bad out in, out in the public. So it's a great new topic and it makes us as data professionals think hard about what we do and why we do it and apply it in you in different ways, which is just really why I like this topic so much. It, it's just, there's always something new to consider and think about and apply good judgment and good management techniques to. Thank you. And I'm wondering, Maria, could we swap the word governance for enablement, data enablement? You mentioned it. Is that a yeah, possibility? Everybody that's likes possible, that too, but that's kind of a boring. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll, that's you got a good I, I have a challenge. I'm going to look for that. I, I use management. It's been working for me. Yeah. But um, but I agree. Maybe there's something a little bit better than that. But um, but yeah, I, I love it. Uh, sorry. Um, Data enablement at the moment is ju- uh, is quite often used for uh, I don't know bringing uh, organizations into the data world in a way. Yeah. So I mean it's a little bit like this. Okay, we have to catch up and so on. So I'm not sure whether this is an ongoing activity, but in in a way. So um, I would just perhaps would like to make this point. I think this. Um, we want to democratize AI. We want to actually make it more available to every uh, everybody to in the organization on a societal level to, for the good, not for the bad, obviously. Um, and if we want uh, to actually also scale uh, in some regards, I mean, governance is also a very important prerequisite to that. So, um, Thank uh, you very much. Inter- I, I would love to continue this conversation. Uh, you all three know what I'm talking about. Let's see if we could do a part two. I have a quick question for you. Data scientist. I, I had a show a couple of years ago on one of my SAP Game Changer shows, and it was something, something by day and data scientist at night. They're wearing a cape and goggles, and they're flying over companies, and they're data scientists. Is data scientist the job of the future to be involved, the people who will be making these decisions, or are they just a tech person? Just a, a quick, we got three seconds here. Maria, will that be a, a tech role? Hey, I'm a data scientist. I was hired to do this and that. Are they going to be the ones making the big decisions about data? I think it's an important role, but it won't be the only role. Okay. Christine, agree or disagree? I totally agree. It's a teamwork, team uh, spot. Thank you. Also, Wolfgang, what do you think? Yeah, not, not everybody has a PhD in mathematics or physics in order to become a, a real good data scientist. This is why we see um, initiatives like um, automation learning and things like that. So the data scientist will not be the only role in the future. Thank you very much. I wish we had another hour. I have so much enjoyed. Christine, you didn't interrupt. You're fine. We're, we're just floating ideas here. This is all great. The energy is wonderful. This is what live radio is all about. I want to thank Aaron Keller, our engineer. Everybody say thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. For getting us on always. the air. Always. Yeah. His, Aaron's our friend. He always does a wonderful job. I want to thank uh, Wolfgang Epting for the topic. Thank you for sending the abstract. Christine also worked on it. And Maria, the three of you rock. I'd love to do part two. Let's get together and see if we can make that happen. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to Ira Burke, who is the sponsor of this series, and Dana Corder at SAP, who worked so hard behind the scenes to put these together. And I have my call to action here. Everybody pretend you're fastening your seatbelt. Come on, put on a, put on that seatbelt. AI isn't going to do that for you. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Christine Legner, just like Wolfgang Epting, and just like Maria Villar. Everybody say bye-bye. Don't go away. We'll talk for a second. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 